This message was recorded at an outdoor service, so we appreciate your patience with the sound quality. Thank you. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This has been called one of the most, one of the best known sentences in the English language, containing the most potent and consequential words in American history. And I would add to consequential, controversial. We could pick apart each one of these words. We could pick apart these basic ideas that we find in this sentence that I'm sure we are all familiar with. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not a historian. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a politician. I'm a pastor and a theologian who also happens to be an observer of culture and an observer of the human heart. Therefore, I have a great interest in history and sociology and politics as they play out in the life of the church, as they play out in each one of our lives, both in the church here locally, here at Livingstone, in Oshkosh, throughout this country where we're familiar with these words, and throughout the world. And I find it fascinating that almost 243 years later, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness happen to be at the center of much of the debates that are raging in our current cultural moment. And I'm sure you can think of many of the things that are going on right now. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and how those things are informed by these ideas. This morning, I want us to consider the pursuit of happiness. And again, not from a political or sociological or historical perspective, but from a theological perspective. Kicking off this summer series in the Psalms, attempting to learn from God's word, both good theology and to help us to live that theology out in the world around us as we live out our calling and our mission as the people of God. This is not an easy task. If you've been confronted by issues going on, if you've tried to bring your theology into those discussions, you know how difficult that can be at times. But this is an essential task for us because people are asking questions. People are asking difficult and important questions. Questions that we can't just give a trite, feel-good answer to. Right? Can't just give the typical, oh, this is, this is just the answer. Not the Sunday school answer, right? Even though Jesus is the answer to all of these questions, we can't just give that in a trite way. I've mentioned the past few Sundays and in our welcome time this morning with a card that we handed out that we're going to be using the creation, fall, redemption, and consummation framework for this summer series. Now, I want to start off with a word of caution with this. We can't just go to the scriptures with our own agenda and say, well, this is, what, this is just what I want to talk about this summer, so I'm just going to make up a bunch of stuff and, and make it sound good and make it all fit together. I think it's easy to do that, 
But we, we need to go to God's word and we need to hear what God has to say to us in his word. So I'll admit uh, the creation, fall, redemption, consummation framework. It's an artificial framework. It's something that theologians have, have put together. But it does follow the storyline of the Bible. So it's, it's artificial, but I think it's true to the scriptures. So as we go through this, just be aware of that. Okay, this isn't, I'm not saying creation, fall, redemption, consummation is the only way to understand the Bible. It's not saying it's the only way to look at it, but I think it is a very helpful way. And so we're going to use that this summer as we go through the Psalms. So that said, uh, the Psalms, if you've read the Psalms at all, are a very unique, it's a very unique book in the Bible. It's a collection of 150 different songs. Uh, they're not arranged topically, uh, so we don't get a lot of help there. They're, some of them are just kind of all over the place. They, there's a lot of different themes in the Psalms. We have Psalms that do talk about creation, which we're going to be looking at in the next few weeks. We have Psalms of praise, Psalms of thanksgiving, Psalms of lament or complaint. Uh, there are royal Psalms or messianic Psalms that very clearly point us forward to Jesus. We're going to be talking a lot about Jesus this summer in the Psalms and how the Psalms point to him. And these Psalms, they're prayers and they're songs of God's people as they wrestle with the realities of life in this world. You'll see that as you go through the Psalms. There's a lot of difficult questions that are asked. There's a lot of crying out to the Lord, complaining about things that are happening uh, in the world. And I think it's fitting that these Psalms are music, right? Music is such a powerful expression of our emotions and of our experiences. Just think about your favorite songs. Think about two or three of your favorite songs. Think about the questions that those songs might bring up in your heart and in your mind. Think about those, the things that, those, that your favorite songs cause you to wrestle with. Maybe it's celebration, joy, sadness, angst, fear, thankfulness. I remember a couple years ago, uh, I used to be a big Metallica fan. I uh, went and saw them in concert and loved their music. I still appreciate their music. Um, when I hear some of the songs, I think something that really comes out in their music, uh, I'm not encouraging you to like, go start listening to Metallica, but something that comes out in their music is angst. There's so much angst in their music. And I was listening to this song and I was like, man, this is what's wrong with Christian radio. Like you turn on Christian radio and everything is just happy all the time. And that's not real life, right? Like that's, that's not real life. We need some more angst in our music, don't we? And that's why we're going to the Psalms this summer because that's going to be there, right? We're going to have opportunities to complain to the Lord together, to lament together. And God's people have done that for thousands of years, and that's okay. And I'm not saying you shouldn't ever listen to Christian radio, but if you got a Spotify playlist or whatever, get some angsty songs in there, okay? Um, and if you want some advice on some good, you know, Christian angsty songs, I can give you some of those. Um, but seriously, like, I, th- I think that is something that as the people of God, we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay with the angst and the, the doubts and the questions. And I, I want to see that reflected more in our music. I think it's reflected well in our songbook. I think we have those songs. But I want to encourage you, don't get sucked into that. Like everything just needs to be happy all the time because um, it's not always happy. Okay, 
How do the Psalms then help us to wrestle with tough questions? These creation, fall, redemption, consummation questions. Questions like, why are we here? Why is there something rather than nothing? Those are a couple creation questions. What's wrong with the world? And what's wrong with us? Those are some fall questions. Is there any hope? Can things get better? Those are redemption questions. How is it all going to end? And is there anything after death? Those are consummation questions. Those are questions that we ask. Those are questions that people around us are asking. And I believe that God has provided answers to all of these questions in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation and particularly in the Psalms. So that's, again, why we're going to be spending this summer digging into the Psalms and we're looking at trying to answer these questions and wrestle with these questions. So let's go to the Psalms. Let's go to Psalm 1, again, page 448. In your, if you got the Pew Bibles, Psalm 1 here is it's kind of an introduction to the entire collection of Psalms. So let's see how Psalm 1 here begins to attempt to answer the questions that we have asked, particularly as it relates to the pursuit of happiness. Psalm 1 Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, thank you for these songs of your people that you have given to us. These songs that express such a wide range of of emotions and experiences. God, I ask that as we kick off this series here, as we dig into the Psalms this summer, Lord, that you would speak to your people. God, that you would speak through your word, that we would be able to wrestle with all of these questions, that we would be able to wrestle with the difficult things in our lives and in the world around us, and that we would have a good, solid foundation to both ask and answer these questions from. May your word be central in our lives. God, may you open our hearts and our minds to hear it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how should we think as Christians about the pursuit of happiness? I've been wrestling with this a bit lately, uh, this idea of happiness. Uh, If you've been around the church for very long or if you read Christian books, you've probably heard pastors, theologians kind of riff on the, you know, it's about joy. It's not about happiness, right? Like God doesn't just want you to be happy. He wants, he wants you to have joy. And while I believe that's true, I think the scriptures do talk about happiness. And I think there's a reality about being happy. Now we need to understand that from a biblical perspective. So I think this 
distinction between joy and happiness can sometimes be helpful, but I don't think it's always as helpful as we might think it is. I think where the rub is for most of us is that we've all experienced misguided pursuits of happiness, right? We've all looked in the wrong places for happiness. And we live in a world where happiness is a very cliche term. This isn't something new. If you grew up in the 80s like me, you know the catchy tune, don't worry, be happy, right? You guys have all probably heard that song. Most of you, if you haven't, go listen to it. It's crazy. Um, or you hear people saying something like, well, I don't care about you know, fill in the blank. I just want you to be happy, right? And we hear people talking about like, their kids, right? I don't care about, you know, your, I don't care about your choices. I just want you to be happy. Really? Like, really, mom and dad? Like, their happiness is ultimate? I mean, that's what we're bombarded with all the time. And, and you probably hear it as much as I do. But can that message, I just want you to be happy, can that be squared with what the scripture teaches? The Bible does talk about happiness. And it's right here. Psalm 1, blessed or happy. Some translations translate this, how happy, how happy is the man? And man is used generically here. How happy is the person? This word blessed or happy is used 26 times throughout the Psalms and it's usually at the beginning of a Psalm. It, it means a heightened state of joy, of of happiness, implying very favorable, favorable circumstances and enjoyment. I mentioned that Psalm 1 is kind of an introduction to the book of Psalms. Actually, most scholars think that Psalm 1 and 2 uh, are actually go together, and they were, they were originally together, and they kind of form this inclusio. If you look at the beginning of Psalm 1, blessed is the man, and we'll see why he's blessed. And then if you look at the very end of Psalm 2, blessed are all who take refuge in him. So Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, both, they, it begins and it ends with this idea of the blessed life. Okay, so there's this inclusio here. Psalm 1, blessed is a man who does not do these things, but delights in the law of the Lord. Then blessed are all who take refuge in him. So throughout the Psalms, this idea of relying on the Lord, of belonging to the Lord, of being near to the Lord, of fearing the Lord. These are all things that go together with this description of being blessed or being happy. These are things that ought to make us happy as Christians. Being near to the Lord, belonging to Him, fearing Him, relying on Him. We should be happy in our lives because of those things. And as it says there in the first verse, not walking or standing or sitting in the ways of the world, which are things that are in opposition to God. We should be miserable if we're doing those things. We don't do those things, but we delight or we find pleasure in what? The law of the Lord. And this word for law of the Lord here is the word Torah. It means instruction. Mentioned Psalm 119 a little earlier. It's the longest psalm in the Bible. Great psalm. How does it start out? Blessed, happy, same word, 
Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. It's the exact same picture. It's the exact same language that we see in Psalm 1. And all throughout the Psalms, especially in Psalm 119, we see these words that are used for the law of the Lord. Testimonies, commandments, precepts, words, statutes, rules. So happy are we if we walk in God's ways, if we delight in his ways and we meditate on his ways. That's what it says in verse 2 there. Delight in the law of the Lord meditates day and night. I was in the line at the bank a few days ago and they had a little stand, a little sign up that said, gave you a list of things you could do while you waited in line said you could do 10 calf raises. And I was really tempted. I didn't do the calf raises. But I was, I was going to get some exercise, but I didn't do that. Uh, it said you could say the ABCs backwards. I was like, that's way too much mental work. Uh, it said you could plan your, your dinner recipe. And I was like, well, Lindsay probably already has that all figured out. And then it said you can meditate. I was like, oh, great. Yeah, I can meditate. And I'm like, probably, they're probably not thinking about the same type of meditating that I'm thinking about, Right. This isn't here talking about, I wasn't supposed to get down in some like lotus position and like do some chants and some Eastern meditation, right? If I would have meditated, I would have got my phone out and clicked Psalm 1 and just started reading the scriptures out loud. And people would have probably been like, what the heck are you doing? That's what it's talking about here, right? It's delighting in God's law. It's meditating on his law. It's reading his word My encouragement to us this summer is that we would meditate on the Psalms, that we would read them, follow the schedule that we that we have there, read them in your own private devotional time, read them with your family at the dinner table, listen to them. If you have the ESV app, the ESV Bible app on your phone, you can listen to the Psalms. If you're on a long drive or if you're doing some work around the house, I've just clicked on the Psalms and just started listening. It's just such a, a, an encouraging time to just hear God's word just wash over you. Uh, some other things I would recommend if you want to, you can write these down. There's a band called The Corner Room, uh, which James loves. They sing, they have an out, one or two albums, two albums on the Psalms, that, and they use the ESV translation, and they literally, word for word from the ESV, they sing the psalm. They sing the psalms, and they put them to music. So it's it's helpful to be able to memorize them. So you can find that online. Shane and Shane, they have they've got a bunch of albums on the psalms. Just listening to to those songs that are directly taken from Scripture that remind us of God's word can can really be good for us. It can wash over us and it can nourish our souls. And we get here a very sweet picture of that nourishment of our souls in verse 3. This is one of my favorite kind of word pictures, one of my favorite parts in all of Scripture, talking about the tree. The person who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. If we want to talk about the prosperity gospel, here we go. Here it is. Be like this tree. 
This isn't a health and wealth and prosperity message. It's a picture of prospering because you're delighting in the Lord, because you're connected with him. And this picture that it gives of the tree, talking about its leaf not withering, Derek Kidner in his commentary says, the promised immunity of the leaf from withering is not independence of the rhythm of the seasons. If you've lived in Wisconsin very long, you know the reality of the seasons and how it affects things, right? Let me start over. The promised immunity of the leaf from withering is not independence of the rhythm of the seasons, but freedom from the crippling damage of the drought. The same picture of the tree is found in Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed, same word, okay, as Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Jeremiah 17, just like Psalm 1, has this stark contrast between those who trust in the Lord and those who trust in themselves. Notice verse 8 in Jeremiah 17. He does not fear when the heat comes, and it will, both literally and figuratively. Its leaves remain green. It is not anxious in the year of drought, and the drought will come. We've all experienced that in our lives, no doubt. Dry seasons seasons of drought, seasons of saying like the psalmist, how long, O Lord, how long will you hide your face from me? But this tree is deeply rooted, deeply rooted in God and in his word, and it does not cease to bear fruit no matter what comes at it from the outside. So do you want a happy life? Be like this tree, right? Be like this tree. Trust in the Lord. Delight in Him. Delight in His Word. Meditate on who He is. Don't be like the chaff that we see in verse 4 of Psalm 1, that the wind blows away. It's just thrown up and the wind catches it. Like my notes are about to fly away here. Be like the tree that is so deeply rooted that the wind and the heat and the drought, when it comes, it may touch it, but it cannot destroy it because the tree is rooted and it is firmly planted. 
The psalmist closes Psalm 1 by saying that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Again, there is this stark contrast. It's fitting that we're just following up 1 John because we saw many stark contrasts in 1 John. The Psalms start off here with this stark contrast of two different types of people. See the ESV heading if you have it there. The way of the righteous and the wicked. You might have heard people say something like two ways to live. That's what we see in Psalm 1. Two very different lives reflected here. And the temptation may be to ask, well, what do I need to do to be like the tree and not be like the chaff? What do I need to do to be righteous and not wicked? That's really at the heart of all the creation, fall, redemption, consummation questions. But the answer is not in what we can do. It's in what has already been done for us. Redemption. We are planted like the tree. We are the righteous ones who are known by the Lord if we are in Christ. If we trust in him alone for our salvation. If we look to him and his sacrifice on the cross as our only hope of eternal life. The fruit that we bear and the unwithered leaves that we display are a result of Christ's righteousness in us. It's not a result of our works or what we have done. And you might think, well, Jesus didn't talk about the happy life, did he? Actually, yes, he did. Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. They all start off with the word blessed. It's the same word that's translated from the Hebrew word in Psalm 1, that is blessed. Matthew 5, 3 through 11. I'm going to change blessed to happy for the sake of our context. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Hang your head and complain. No, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice and be glad. Be happy in the Lord, even when others say wicked things about you for being a follower of Christ. So I'll ask you again. Do you want a happy life? If you look at the front 
cover of your worship guide. There's a quote there from J.C. Ryle in a little book called Happiness. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. Short read. It's like 50 pages. Great little read. This has really kind of challenged me on some of my thinking about happiness that I mentioned earlier. I'm going to read that the paragraph that's on the worship guide there, and then I'm going to read a little bit more as we get ready to, to come to the Lord's table. He says, It sounds too simple to be true. It seems at first sight so plain a recipe that it is not to be believed. But the greatest truths are often the simplest. The secret which many of the wisest people on earth have utterly failed to discover is revealed to the humblest believer in Christ. I repeat it deliberately, and I challenge the world to disprove it. The true Christian is the only truly happy person. He goes on. What do I mean when I speak of a true Christian? Do I mean everybody who goes to church or chapel? Do I mean everybody who professes an orthodox creed and bows his head at the belief? Do I mean everybody who professes to love the gospel? No, indeed. I mean something very different. Not everyone who is called a Christian is a Christian. I am talking about the one who is a Christian in heart and life. The one who has been taught by the Holy Spirit to feel his sins deeply. The one who really rests all their hopes on the Lord Jesus Christ and his atonement. The one who has been born again and really lives a spiritual, holy life. The one whose faith is not a mere Sunday coat, but a compelling principle governing every day of their life. This is what I mean when I speak of a true Christian. What do I mean when I say the true Christian is happy? Do they have no doubts or fears? No anxieties or troubles? No sorrows or cares? Does he or she never feel pain or shed any tears? Far be it from me to say anything of the kind. The true Christian has a weak body and is frail like any other. They have feelings and passions like everyone born into this world. They live in a changing society. But deep down in their heart, they have a mine of solid peace and substantial joy, which is never exhausted. This is true happiness. It's like that tree that is rooted, the tree that is planted in the Lord. The person who trusts in Christ is the only truly happy person, is, is what Ryle is arguing. And I would say a hearty amen to that. So as we prepare this morning to come to this table, this is a table for all of those who have trusted in Christ. Now, you don't have to be perfect you don't have to have all of your ducks in a row. Your life doesn't have to be all put together. You need to trust in Christ. And if you do, you're welcome to come to this table. This is not just for those who are members of, of Livingstone Church. We ask that you would be someone who is in good standing in a gospel preaching church. But all of those who have trusted in Christ are welcome to come to this table.